It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Today we have Dan Adamitz. Dan is a uh, another Run Happy Team member. I met him at the the Hype Fest, uh, and I think Dan and I kicked it off pretty well. Uh, we we kind of talked over socials a little bit prior to the Hype Fest. Uh, I asked Dan to do a reel with me, and we we collabed on a reel, and then I never posted it because it was freaking awful. <laughs> Not on Dan's <laughs> fault, but on mine, and I. I think I showed it to him and he was like, yeah, that's pretty bad. And so uh, we ended up not posting it, but uh, we ended up uh, riding to the riding the bus and together and meeting together. And then uh, the first night he came up to me, he was like, hey, man, we're going to go get some beer. Are you down? I was like, I'm going to I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to like this guy. So, yeah, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Nice to see your guys' faces versus just listening to your voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they fit. <laughs> well, I guess you already met Justin. That's true. So, uh, yeah, everybody knew him as the uh, the firefighter that lived up in Alaska, which confused everyone. Yeah, like there, every I do get asked that a lot. Like, do you run in the cold? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had so many people. I was like. I liked it. I liked when it was everybody was taking their like state photos and me and Aaron Richards were the only two that didn't have anybody else from our state. And so it was the Alaska and the Hawaii that were just <laughs> off by ourselves. <laughs> hey, combo. will you take a picture of me right quick? <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, where are you coming from? Where are you at? Where are you living? I am currently in St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul, Minnesota. So, you know, a little bit about the the cold weather out there. Sure do. You like um, running in the cold or what? So much better. Uh, the race times drop. You feel a heck of a lot better. Um, yeah, I'm the crazy person that's in shorts until it's about 20 degrees. Um, yeah, things are just better in the cold. I've tried to run a few races in warmer weather, like a couple in San Diego and things like that. And it just, it doesn't go well. Usually no. blow up about halfway through and i'm a heavy sweater as it is so it's it's just tough to keep up on those things so yeah yeah well how cold does races it, are good how cold does it get there um i mean the coldest i've ever experienced was somewhere around like negative 40 or 50 Sweet. Um, do you go running in that but no <laughs> <laughs> You know, when, I say I like, I, when I say, I, you know, do you run in the cold? Like, I meant, do you run in the cold? Everybody runs at 20 degrees. Yeah. Come on, man. Let's... If my car can't run in the cold, how can I run in the cold? <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. The coldest race I've probably ran was uh, the Millinocket Marathon up in northern Maine. It's a, uh, it's a free marathon intended to bring money into a town where their mill shut down. And the city started to die. So the only influx of money that they had into that town was during some summer tourism. And that's more people that just want to camp or like finish the AT um, or even start the AT and start heading south so they can get into warmer climates before it gets cold. Um, so that marathon is free. And it was one of the warmer years when I ran that one. And then when we started, it was 11 degrees with like 10 to 20 mile an hour winds. I did end up running that one in ski goggles. 
so that my <laughs> contacts wouldn't freeze on my on my eyeball. I love running in ski goggles. <laughs> Me too. You, you always get the most <laughs> random looks from people like, what is going on? What is he doing? <laughs> I love it when you're when people see you in that and they're like, wow, you're pretty dedicated. But it's usually from like someone sitting outside shivering, smoking. And you're like, I mean, I'm dedicated, but like you're outside smoking. Yeah, that's funny. That is so, true, though. That is true. That's kind of a cool marathon. I, I like the idea of that. So it just brings in a lot of people and they spend money and keep the town afloat. Mm-hmm. What time of the year? I mean, obviously it's in the winter, but what, what month of the uh, year is it in? First weekend of December every year. Okay. That's cool. And, and that's up in to, You do need to sign up. They do cap it at a certain amount. Um, they, of course, sold out, quote unquote, sold out again this year. Um and then like the town puts on just like the greatest little festival. Like there was a talent show at the high school one year. There's always an arts and crafts fair in the school gymnasium. Uh, a lot of the restaurants will put on pre and post runner meals. Um, yeah. It's just crazy to see this tiny place come to life. And the purpose is just to bring money into the city. Everyone, every year there's a fundraiser for something. Um, the year that uh, last year that I went up there, I held a raffle for um, your choice in either a pair of Brooks running tights, the high vis running tights, or a jacket. And the entry for it was you had to donate to something in Millinocket. And it was just a random drawing for there. People have had it to keep the library open or to buy fuel oil for those in need, things like that. So. That's, That's really cool. Coldest and in, in most like like you feel good doing it. Like I'm up yeah. here doing some good, even though like you're just like you're paying for a hotel room, you're shopping at the local grocery store, things like that. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really neat. What was the name of the marathon again? The Millinocket Marathon. The Millinocket Marathon. Hmm. Might have to look that, that sounds up. like one I would I would run actually. Yeah, yeah. Robbie's <laughs> never run a marathon, so there we go. And Robbie, I, I, if you get cold and tired halfway through, you can just do the first loop because it's just a double half marathon loop. <laughs> so it's real tempting. You're coming through on that end of that first lap and you're like, ooh, I can well, turn left here and be done. Well, let me <laughs> clarify something to you right quick. Just because Robbie has not run a marathon. <laughs> does I know he's done. He's done ultras. And, <laughs> yeah. He just I ran. Skipped. I think he ran a mile, and then he was like, "You know, I'm just going to see if I can do 50 miles." And <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, I skipped from 25k up to 50k. Oh, um, cool! Yeah. What so was the 50k? A, what 50k? One to, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. It's called the uh, the Pineland Trail Festival. Uh, that was my my first ultra, and it was a colossal failure. Um, did you finish? They, I finished. I did. Then, and then, then I hey, promptly. It was a success. <laughs> <laughs> I promptly crossed the finish line, turned left and walked right into the medical tent and sat down. Um, yeah, it was supposed to be like 70 degrees and overcast. Uh, it was 85 at the start and we watched the clouds just kind of dissipate mm. right before it started. It rained for a couple days beforehand. Um, they sent us the wrong way, uh, at the start. So it was a 5k loop and then you go out on a bigger loop and then you were supposed to go back and do 
either that short loop again or another one. And so we did the 5K loop. We were supposed to come around. We were supposed to turn left. The person that was supposed to be running that intersection was not paying attention mm. when the first group of people came through. Uh, but they corrected themselves about halfway through the crowd. So <laughs> the lead pack, nobody has any idea like the distance. And then what would be considered the back of the pack is actually on the right course. Um, so I was 28 miles in completely like delirious. I was wearing shoes and shorts. I had sunglasses on originally. The humidity was so high that they would fog up on my face and I couldn't see. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I ditched those. But like when I came through to the people that were there cheering and hanging out for the day at the what was supposed to be the halfway point, it was 10 miles. So I was like, I'm missing a five mile chunk somewhere. And that's when I swapped out um, what I was carrying for food. I was like, okay, well, this this isn't adding up. And now I'm going to be short, like, fuel at some point in time. Um, I was so nervous. I couldn't eat the eat that morning anyway. So I started the race hungry, which is like, oh, I'm going to go parade through the woods for, like, six to eight hours. Nothing <laughs> like starting on a nearly empty stomach. Um, yeah, I got really, really dehydrated. Uh, at one point in time, I was convinced I was hearing things. Um, I got real pissed when I hit 31 miles, and I was nowhere near the start line. Mm. And I was, like, just just breaking down. And I was like, well, I'm out in the middle of the woods. So i, I got to get back somehow. So, yeah, my first 50K was uh, 34 miles. Nice. Bonus That's miles. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah miles it was just free. like, oh man, it's yeah, more miles for your for your buck. And I'm like, that's not what I want to hear right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. What other ultras have you run? Uh I did the Loop It Lop It that is in North Minneapolis. It's a timed ultra, so it's six or twelve hours, and you just do a five to six mile loop on repeat and as far as you get is what you get and that's all single track mountain bike trails so oh, it's cool. not really it's not fast uh it's not super technical but it's it's all single track um went in and took an attempt at the pemi loop in new hampshire in the white mountains that is supposed to be a 50k loop uh, the snow was just too deep when we went in April. Uh, so after post holing up to our knees and hips for like, gosh, I don't know, eight hours, uh, we took the, the easy way out. We took our exit strategy, which was to cut down the center of it instead of finishing the lollipop style loop. Um, and that got us to just under 27 miles instead of 31. So our exit strategy didn't shave off. <laughs> a whole lot um you tried to dnf but it didn't let you do it <laughs> yeah yeah we tried to but it just yeah um and then we had to run the last 10k because if we didn't get done fast enough the only restaurants in the town were going to close i was like there's no grocery store so if the restaurants close we don't have food tonight mm. and we just spent 14 hours in the mountains so yeah and like that technically that wasn't even a race that was just one of my friends going 
hey, you know what would be fun for my birthday? <laughs> let's go let's go do what's considered one of the hardest routes through the white mountains you know you know you're in a bad spot when your friend's like hey you know what'll be fun let's go try this <laughs> yeah, yeah. the word you don't want to hear <laughs> i'm usually that friend <laughs> that's great uh, and then the uh the last one that i did was the icebox 480 and that's an eight hour uh looped race in wisconsin uh, seven miles uh, of the loop, and that one's unique in the fact of if you don't finish the loop that you're on, those miles don't count. Yeah, a lot of so those are like kind that. of changes. Yeah, it kind of changes that strategy where they originally used to have a one mile loop that would open up in the last hour of that eight hour race, um, but with COVID and them just coming back with it, they nixed the uh, the one mile section. So. Like you're coming through and you've just been logging your miles for the day on this single track, weaving up and down and a lot of twists and turns and pretty technical. Um, you're like, I don't know, can I do this seven mile loop in, in 90 minutes? I don't know. Can I, do I have the gas for that? Because if you think you can't, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, That's you're it. finishing at seven miles either way. It's whether or not you get credit for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like it. I do. I really do. I like it. I'm like, well, you have to, you have to, you know, play the game. Is it going to be, I did one like that and I had two hours left. Uh, it was a 12 hour at two hours left and it was a six mile loop or they opened up the little half mile loop. So they're like, you can do the half mile loops. You can go out for a big six mile loop. And I was like, uh, like, I know I can finish a six mile loop in two hours, but I'd already run for 10 hours previous to that, you know? So I was like, all right, well, I'll just go give it a chance. But then like, I'm getting close and I'm like, Oh man, I should have probably just done the half mile loop. <laughs> and that's what was like looking at that. I was like, you know, I would love to have that shorter loop. Yes. It gets redundant. But at that point you're like, you're pretty much like numb yeah. to it. Like your brain's just turned off, but then you don't have to carry everything. So like I could have dropped my pack. I could have dropped everything and like, Oh, every mile or half mile, I can grab more water or snacks or anything. Yeah. That was definitely about running with it. Yeah. That's definitely uh, um, a positive to that little half mile loop that I realized after I did four or five of them anyways, but so, well, Dan, how did you, uh, how did you get into running? Uh, I started in track when I was in high school. Uh, well, actually, in elementary school, uh, I went to one of my brother's track meets when he was in junior high. So it was a little JV track meet. And I saw people in my grade that were running at the track meet. So then I was like, well, if they can do it, I know that's not a thing at my school, but why can't I uh, go do it? So um, I started on the JV track meet team when I was in sixth grade, ran uh, through my senior year. Uh, figured out with the major that I chose going into college that I could either be a college athlete and try to walk onto a team or I could stick with the major I chose because as an athletic trainer at North Dakota State, you cannot watch practice and do your clinical coverage while you're participating in it. So like, if you want to do this, you need to change your major. And that was the last year that they were offering that major. So I was like, well, I can go here and try to be an athlete and change my major and probably divert my, my education path. Or I can just do the education and, uh, you know, do what I'm paying for. So yeah. 
that was the uh, that was the real adult choice that was uh, supported <laughs> fully by parents. Um, every now and then, I'm like, you know, if I had kept running from like 18 to 24, that probably would have changed a couple of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I graduated uh, undergrad and then went right back into grad school. Um, once I got through most of grad school, I figured out that, you know, I really enjoyed the feeling of working out and I miss that, you know, when you're in high school and you're constantly moving, especially with how small my hometown is, I was a triple athlete. So you would go from sport to sport to sport year round. Um, and I miss that. So I started running a little bit like here and there, like intermeals and things like that in college, but I didn't get back into like serious training until I was in graduate school. Um, started running again, started doing mud runs and obstacle course races when those were just becoming popular and they weren't like $180 per race. Yeah. Why are they so uh, expensive now? It's like a 5k is like 150 bucks. It's like, ugh. yeah, the, uh, the injury rate in like, even like a 5k obstacle course race. Is Do you think that like, they're going to price themselves out of that? Probably. I mean, the injury rate's like 40%. God, that's, I didn't realize that at all. I've never yeah. run one before. I've had a couple friends that have done, done them, but I've never run one enough. I mean, I would, I'm not opposed to it, but I didn't realize it now. Now I am 40%. I'm never going to do one. <laughs> like you guaranteed you're probably going to get injured on this thing. Like, Nope, not doing it. Yeah. But, well, I mean, uh, that's a factor. Cause like, it's, it's a shorter distance race. There's usually a bunch of stuff to look at. There's a bunch of things to do. And, um, you get people that are more of like gym rats and like, well, you know, I can't run very much, but like I can do burpees and I can climb a wall and things like that. Um, yeah. sometimes it just doesn't, doesn't, uh, to work out the best for them. I didn't uh, realize they were so expensive though. Golly, a hundred, yeah. 150 bucks for a 5k. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so got back into that, started training a little bit harder, uh, just with where I was at, I had the opportunity for. Um, some BJJ, some MMA training and did that for about a year. Uh, family really didn't appreciate that one. Um, <laughs> so then I started, uh, I started refing and just running. I thought running a marathon was ridiculous. I had said to numerous people that I'm never going to do this. Uh, and then I moved to Boston and that, uh, that changed. So yeah. <laughs> the, the fitness community in Boston's pretty intense and everybody runs it's a runnable bikeable walkable city uh that's where the nonprofit november project started and there was a lot of people running up and down harvard stadium steps multiple days a week like you know i can i can get on on board with this so started training and racing with uh all the locals in boston and at that time the north face was doing trail racing series and they had a marathon relay. So you could split up a marathon trail race in between two to four people. So instead of having to run the whole thing, you could run a 10K really hard, then hand off, wait for them to come back, and then do it again if you wanted. Or you could do one and have three other teammates split it up. And that's where the uh, the real love for trail running came into play. And then uh, it came to a Memorial Day weekend and everybody was traveling or busy with something. And I, for some miraculous reason, even working in college athletics, had the weekend off. I signed up for a 25K trail race the night before. Nice. Drove up, 
<laughs> yeah. Went out, <laughs> banged it out. It was like, you know, that wasn't so bad. Like I enjoyed it. Trail runners have always been a real nice, a welcoming community. And so I was like, you know, 25K wasn't bad. Let's uh let's shoot for a 50k next year. <laughs> was that the same one, the 50k that yeah. no longer exists? Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Didn't go as planned, uh, yeah. but it left a your your experience it, is a little bit different on the 25k yeah. and 50k. <laughs> <laughs> left a real salty taste in my mouth where I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna get beat by this. And I was like, we're gonna do it again. So yeah. Been running pretty consistently ever since so like right before and ever since I moved to Boston and um just something about it that just makes me feel good I really enjoy getting a good sweat in uh I appreciate the endorphins afterwards um or as I like to call them with trail running outdoorfins uh, yeah that's a, oh. a grownable pun I like that um yeah you can keep that one put that one in your back pocket for later that's a good one <laughs> are you still in Boston or are you back in I'm I'm in I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, Paul. I, yeah, I think, so. I think yeah. you did mention that. But. I moved back here uh, just for a quality of life change and the shot of hopefully getting back into school again. Uh, March of 2020, I uh, got to watch everything shut down as I drove across the country. Mm. Um, but the uh, the running and biking community in Minneapolis and St. Paul is really nice, and it's one of the most bikeable cities in the United States. Uh, and since a lot of people use the bike pass, they usually plow them. Nice. So, yeah, you, it'll Fairbanks, be. Banks, listen up. Plow your freaking yeah. sidewalk. <laughs> My God. I ran through you like eight inches of snow. Sidewalks. That's all you need. Just heated sidewalks. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Um, yeah. But it's nice being able to like, you know, it snowed two days ago. And if you, if you give it a little bit of a moment, St. Paul seems to be better about it than Minneapolis. Uh, they'll get people out there right away and clear off the path. So if you just wait and you don't pack the snow down so it doesn't turn into ice, it's not too bad. Yeah. So there's usually some pretty good chunks in like end of January and February where you can actually get some get some road miles in if you're looking for it. Nice. Do you prefer road running over trail running? I prefer road running for the convenience of it. Yeah. But if I have the time and the opportunity, I want trails. I want something to look at. I don't want the redundancy. Um, yeah, you can go fast on roads, but I just think that you can get better experiences on a trail. No, I like that. I, I and I, I feel the same way. Conveniently, it's it's easier uh, where I currently live. It's it's easier to get on a road and go get some miles as opposed to trails. I'm not saying trails aren't well right now. The trails are pretty trash, but <laughs> we, we got a little bit of snow on the ground. So uh, trails are pretty much, well, I wouldn't say they're non-existent, but they're, they're tough to get on. So it, it's tough to get long miles on trails where it's pretty easy to, to, you know, to find some, some road running that you can get some long miles on. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I like that concept of, you know, it's, it's convenient because, you know, I've, I've always been, I wouldn't say I've always been a trail runner, but I've, I'm a trail runner at heart, but, and so it hurts me to run the road, but it is, it is very convenient. <laughs> yeah. So how, how did, um, what you're, you're going back to school now, right? And so you're going for your, your doctorate in chiropractic. Correct. Is that how you say yeah. it? Chiropractic or chiropractic or how do you say that? Chiropractic. 
chiropractic. Doctor okay, so of I was chiropractic. Right. Yeah. Doctor mm-hmm. of chiropractic. What what made you want to make the switch from um, being a uh, personal trainer to that? Um, well, so and not stepping your toes, but athletic trainer and personal trainer they are different. Okay. Um, so personal trainer, you know, to help you get in shape, workout, specialty, and like mechanics and exercise science. Whereas I have some of that uh, education. There's a lot of crossover between the two. But I carry a medical license as an oh. athletic trainer. Um, work I was not even aware level. that that was a uh, there was a difference in that. Mm-hmm. See, look, we and learned so, we learned something every day. I don't know, Rob. Yeah, did I you didn't, know that? I didn't know that either. Yep. See, there we go. <laughs> Just <here laughs> I knew I could learn something today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure the other four people listening to this podcast don't know it either. So, <laughs> okay. Well, well, I'm sure your your wife will be happy, Justin. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be like, I knew that, you idiot. <laughs> Idiots. So I worked as, uh, yeah. <laughs> I worked as an athletic trainer uh, in grad school and then, of course, out of grad school for, gosh, I was certified in 2011. Uh, so it's been quite a while, but I worked at the high school level uh, covering multiple high schools on my own outside of clinic. Um, I mean, the best description for, for identifying the job that I had is if any of you have ever watched professional sports, which I suspect you have, and someone got hurt and then somebody runs out there with a fanny pack or a medical kit and a pair of khakis, that's an athletic trainer. Heck yeah. That's your, that's your, your lower level team doc. Do it for the fanny pack. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right. do you wear best, a fanny pack that stuff in there no i i wore a sling bag oh okay because i was like i'm not wearing this like ridiculous <laughs> junk in the trunk fanny pack um when i did it and or i just wear like cargo pants khakis and yeah. i would just stuff everything i needed to in the pockets got you um so covered a lot of a lot of athletics at the high school level did summer speed and strength programs Got pretty burnt out covering four high schools on my own. Um, yeah. Stepped back. How did that? Back to full time. Did you, when you were covering the high schools, would you go to like their football games and then, like, how did that work with you? I guess I'm trying so to say, it, like, how did you divide your time up between the four? So it all came down to who had what contract. So in the morning, I would typically be in the clinic for a little bit, depending, because it was a rural clinic. So they didn't have a physician there every single day. So if there was a physician coming in from the nearest larger city is Fargo, North Dakota. So they'd come from North Dakota, just over the border in Minnesota, do their like morning four hour orthopedic clinic. And I would uh, be their assistant and after that depending on what time of year it was say if it was if it was fall football season i would need to get to every single school uh before three o'clock so that i could tape anyone that needed to be taped and if one of them was conveniently at home i would do that one last so that way when it came to them showing up for warm-ups i was there and i could just take them then but the teams that were traveling they had to be they had to be taken care of prior. So Got you. on some of my longest days during during football season, you start at 8 a.m. You keep your fingers crossed that nobody got hurt, and then hopefully you'll be done by 10 p.m. If you have to take somebody to the emergency room, you're probably looking at one o'clock. Ooh. Um, yeah, yeah. So like football got long. It's Minnesota. Hockey season was long. Um, I lived in an area where there was a lot of international hockey tournaments at all age groups. 
So it's like, okay, I just got off the, the football field uh, tomorrow morning at eight. I'm going to be in the rink. And if everything goes well, they'll be done by six. And then, uh, or maybe someone will come in and like tap you out. So you're only there for like seven or eight hours instead of the whole day. And, you know, just keep going and grinding. So burnout in my profession is high. Uh, it's around 50% every five years. Or if you can make it to five years, it's around 50% burnout or change. Um, yeah, what a And that terrible. was very much, yeah, that was very much the case uh, for me is like I was just working so much that I was like, I, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I went to part-time coverage only and I started bartending full-time again. And I did that for nine months and I was kind of disappointed. I wasn't using any of the education I had. Uh, there's not many bartenders you run into that I would say have a master's degree in sports medicine. <laughs> um, Probably, Probably not. not no. Yeah. So I uh, pulled the trigger and packed everything up into my car and moved to Boston without a job. There's, an ample amount of colleges in Boston. When I say that, you're like, oh yeah, there's like 30, 40, 50 colleges in Boston. No, there's like 150 colleges in Boston what? area. Um, really? Oh my God. Yeah. A lot of them are like D3, D2s, things like yeah. that. So there's just not enough staff to go around. So they have an app set up where you can just go in and sign up for coverage at colleges. And I was like, okay, so I don't have a job. I'll just, I'll do that. I got my medical license in Massachusetts. As soon as that cleared, I was able to start picking up practices and game coverage and things like that. I just covered at any university that I could get my hands on for a few weeks. And then I got a part-time gig at Northeastern University, turned that into a full-time job and started traveling uh, with Northeastern. I started with women's basketball, did that for two years. And then I switched over to women's rowing and women's field hockey. And that was that was fantastic. The um, rowing athletes or crew athletes are the perfect soldier, as I call them. They're usually ridiculously smart. They are larger than life humans. Like there's almost always male or female, there's almost always someone in the boat that's like six foot five. Yeah. And just has a ridiculous wingspan and they just work hard. Yeah. So I had a tougher time with rowing, getting them to stop and heal themselves uh, than any other sport. Cause they're like, really? well, you can't take me out of the boat. And I was like, I can, <laughs> and I will. Um, and I don't care what your coach says. I figured um, runners would be the, the most stubborn. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a pretty good correlation there. Um, so, but then I'd find them on a rowing machine. They're like, well, you said I can't be in a boat. So, <laughs> um, but once again, it came, it came into burnout with that too. Uh, traveling up and down the East coast is great. Flying places for spring break. Like the rowing team went to an Olympic training center in Sarasota, Florida in the middle of March. It was great. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was a perfect 2k cut course for rowers for people to train that had a loop there was a 14k crushed pebble running path all the way around it and a five-story watchtower that at the top had a gym and i was like i get paid to be here for eight days <laughs> this That's is awesome. great um 
yeah, but after working six and seven days a week, uh, nine months out of the year, and then not having a job for three months, which is tough to pay rent when you don't have a job. It's even tougher to pay rent when it's Boston. Yeah. Um, I was just looking for a quality of life change. Uh, moved back here, started working for an orthopedic clinic, and I was working with a surgeon one-on-one for a while. Uh, just got tired of the high volume of people coming in for knee replacements and hip replacements. It's not, it's not the clientele in the population that I wanted to work with. So I went over to the walk-in clinic and just taking anything that comes in the door, 12 hour shifts. So I was working three and a half days a week, which is great for getting outside and for training and having that balance is fantastic. Like if you had three or four days a week, wide open, still get a paycheck, doing your thing. That was really good work-life balance. And I was like really starting to make headway on, on some running goals. And, uh, then I was, then I realized like I didn't enjoy my job. Like I have all this knowledge on biomechanics and training cycles. And like, I have a, um, speed or a speed or strength and conditioning certification. Like I have a CSCS, um, like there's just so much more I can offer than doing cortisone injections and making casts for people or occasionally yeah. putting a finger back in place. Um, yeah, I applied for PA school a couple times, didn't get in, figured out I didn't want to be a PA after working with PAs for a couple years, which also <laughs> that's good knowledge to have, you know, that's some, <laughs> when you figure out what you don't want, that is just as powerful as knowing what you do want. Yep. Um, looked at chiropractic and some of the chiropractors that I worked with on the East coast, uh, started coming into the newer mentality of working with the entire body and trying to figure out what is compensating, what is dysfunctional, anything that they can and using various techniques and hands-on, uh, care, like the parts of being an athletic trainer that I really loved is what they were employing. But since they're a doctor, and athletic trainers are not, and I need a physician to sign off on everything I do as an athletic trainer, I can't bill. But as a doctor, you can. And that's when I was like, wait, so if I go back to school as much as I didn't want to after six and a half years of college already, like, but if I go back and do this, I can get my hands back on patients. I can start working with athletes again. I can start doing what I love and still being in that realm as well. And I think there's a lot of trust when the person that you is working with you and trying to help you do better in your choice of activity is also in the athletic realm. I think that's a lot. I think that gets a lot more buy-in. Than, yeah, I know. I, I, you know, it's yeah. like you go to the doctor and the doctor's like two, you know, 400 pounds and walks in like, well, you probably, you know, uh, you're going to have an injury from running. Right. And so he's probably like, yeah. well, we should probably just stop running. Like, well, you know, you did that like years ago. <laughs> but that's not, yeah. That's not me. And so like, I really appreciate when, you know, you go and you see someone that, you know, lives in your sport or, you know, participates somewhat in your sport. So. And it's been, uh, it's been a humbling experience. I hadn't been in a classroom in over a decade. Um, we didn't bring laptops in the class when I went through undergrad. Uh, <laughs> you showed up with a pen. You showed up with a yeah. notebook. <laughs> if you didn't print off the PowerPoint slides before class to take notes on, you were screwed. <laughs> and 
heck, now I've been in the middle of class and the teacher goes, or excuse me, the professor is like, you know, hold on, I'm going to change something quick. And they re-upload the notes in the middle of the lecture and you just go and download them and jump right back in. Or there's hybrid classes where things are recorded beforehand or you can just attend electronically. Like I can't make it to campus today, but I can still watch my physiology lecture. Yeah. Pretty good. I did um, my whole degree online. It was awful. I don't suggest ugh. doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. But thankfully with chiropractic education, half of my classes are lectures. The other half right now is hands-on and the farther I get into it, the more it's going to be hands-on versus lectures. That's good. How long is chiropractic school? Uh, this program is 10 trimesters. So that's three and a third years. Okay. Wow. How far deep, how deep into it are you? I am in trimester four. So I made it through a year. Um, finals is creeping up right here around the corner. First week of December. And then I have my first of four boards exams in January. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Did you have to have any uh, so, prerequisites for the, to enter that course? Yeah. Uh, the program, that's where, yeah, that's where my undergrad and grad school education came in handy. Uh, fun fact, your uh, college courses expire. Eventually, they, they will be irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, like, there is a time frame in how, like, if you want to move on and go into higher education, you have to do it in, for most programs, especially medical-based programs, med school, PA school, nurse practitioners, chiropractic, there's a time frame in which you can, you need to get those, have those in. So while I was at working at Northeastern, I was taking one class a trimester or one class a semester for free since I was a Northeastern employee. So like I would do a 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. or 9 to 5 shift working in the athletic training room. And then I would go and take a three hour night class. And so, like, my athletes are studying when they're sitting on, like, team planes and buses and stuff, and I'm doing the same thing. So I was trying to figure out, like, is this grind going to be worth it? But I knew that I wanted more. So having been taking classes, so that just a couple of those core classes, I didn't have to go back and take again. Because when I made the decision to apply for chiropractic school, I gave them a call, worked through my transcripts that they were looking at. Um, they looked at my degrees and they're like, yeah, you're, you can qualify with what we call a non-traditional route. So thankfully when I made the decision to want to apply, I had already checked all those boxes. So I got, I got lucky in that aspect of it. That's really cool, man. What, what kind of uh, practice do you see yourself setting up? Do you, do you see uh, maybe being more in, in the, into sports people I don't, I, don't, I, yeah. I don't know how to word that like yeah you know i you know, i want to work to, with I, anyone that wants to move i don't okay. want it to be just one thing so like okay. yeah i'm a running coach i run a lot i know mechanics i understand runners yeah probably gonna end up having quite a few runners coming through um but say you're a golfer and you have hip pain because you can't rotate far enough or something like that i'd love to work with you yeah or you want to row or you know what you just love walking and but you have pain with walking and that's stopping you great let me work with you i want to take the 
oh gosh, what will be a full decade of education and mash it all into one hybrid sports medicine chiropractor and cover anything from headaches to shoulder pain, hip pain, knee pain, ankle pain. Heck, there's some theories behind if your big toe is dysfunctional and you can't push off on it, that it's going to change your entire mechanics up the chain. I, so I like, feel like he's just describing everything that I felt on my run this morning. There's <laughs> 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 um, um, something about people that want to move and just want to better themselves. Like that's the drive that I want to work with. So I don't want to yeah. put myself in a box, but like, if you're coming to see me, I think there has to be that expectation of like, I'm going to do my best to help you, but I'm not a fixer. I'm not going to set my hands on you and you're going to walk out of here ready to go. Yeah. It's going to take time. You're going to put in some effort. You're going to be doing some exercise to help correct these things. But like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the person that you go back to over and over and over again. And there's no, like, there's no finish line. If I can't help you in textbook says eight to 12 visits. And I think that's pretty accurate from my experiences if I can't help you in that time where you're not seeing noticeable change, I'm going to need to send you to someone that can help you because I'm not doing my job. Yeah. So I have a timeline, you have a timeline and the best day with physical therapy, which I have a feeling both you, Justin and Robbie have been to some form of PT. Your favorite day is the day they're like, okay, you don't have to come back. Yeah. I don't oh. think that, I've, I haven't hit that day yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I just, you just work from, I just from, keep from, going. Okay. Dude. Yeah. yeah. I just keep going from one injury to the other. So yeah. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> yeah. I have a question, you know, with, um, so you kind kind of in the, well, chiropractic world I've noticed is, is changing quite a bit. Back in the day it used to be kind of like, woo woo, right? Like if you go see your mm -hmm. chiropractor, they're not, they're not a real doctor or whatever you want to say, you know, then I see the, you know, the PT world and I've, you know, talked with people that have gone to PT and they, they've never got the issue fixed. Um, I don't know if it was diagnosed correctly or all that stuff, but I've, what I've been noticing in my, the chiropractic world, there is a different way of looking at an issue. Like you were talking about your big toe. Um, there's a lot more mechanics than what a lot of people think about where, and this is just kind of my opinion where you go to see a PT for one thing, right. <clears throat> and they can't fix that one thing or the stuff they're doing isn't working. Uh, but I've noticed now with chiropractors, you, they go in, when you go in to see a chiropractor and a good one, like it's a full body diagnosis. Uh, whereas a PT just, my knee hurts, right? Well, the chiropractor will be like, your knee hurts. Let me see you walk. Let me see you do all this other stuff. And a lot of stuff happens, you know, when we're, we have something that's hurting or not moving correctly. Then we over constipate, constants, I can't say the word. <laughs> constipate. Constipate. Over constipate. <laughs> Yeah, I believe the word you're looking for is compensate. Yeah, there we go. Over <laughs> overcompensate, you know, then the whole misalignment 
what do you think the difference between the, like the PT world and the chiropractic world is in sports? Um, so I'm not a physical therapist, but so I'm fairly sure what I'm about to say is probably going to irk a couple people. Um, a lot of physical therapists are tied by a referral or a diagnosis or insurance. So typically when people go to a practice that offers insurance coverage, which is becoming less and less and insurance is reimbursing less and less, um, they have to treat you for what they're going to get paid for, or they're going to treat you by what your referral says, or you are limited at the number of physical therapy appointments that you can have per your insurance. And if you want to keep going, your physician has to sign off on it. Uh, whereas a chiropractor, uh, it's trending more and more towards cash practice or insurance and cash practice. And the nice thing about that is you can walk in like, Hey, I'm a runner. I run hundred mile races for pick your reason. And <laughs> I don't have, yeah, <laughs> I don't have pain until I'm 25 miles in and it's here. And if, if that health practitioner, that healthcare professional is worth their weight, they will help you figure that thing out. Now that's, that's a very complex way of saying that. Most people are going to come in and be like, my back hurts. And they're like, okay. Let's dig into that. When does your back hurt? How long has it been bothering you? Have you done anything for it? And the thing about you paying cash or not having to have a referral to come to a chiropractor is they're not necessarily tied to those things. Yes, you can still use insurance, but it doesn't work its way down the chain in the healthcare world where you're coming to the person that you need to see. And if you need to go somewhere else for imaging or for treatment or anything like that, the education for chiropractors now is focused on evidence-informed or evidence-based practice where we're looking at current research, current techniques. Our boards, tests cover all basic sciences. Like I'm in chiropractic school, but right now we just did abdominal evaluations last week in my physical diagnosis class. So literally taking a stethoscope listening to arteries in your abdomen, see, listening to bowel sounds, things like that. I'm not going to be perfect at gastroenterology, but I'm going to know enough about it where if you have an issue and that's actually what's causing your pain, I'm going to know something's not right and I'm going to send you to the right person. And I think I answered your question. I think I lost myself in ramble halfway through there, but I think that's the difference between chiropractors of today versus physical therapists or traditional orthopedists or chiropractors that fit into the old school stereotype. No, I, that was a great explanation. You know, I, I seem to forget, you know, where the insurance comes into play too. Cause uh, you know, a lot of times, like you were saying, if you do get, you know, a uh, referral to go see a PT, there's only so many treatments per insurance and, who knows what the care you're going to get sometimes it, it could not be the root of what you're actually having issues with just diagnosis from someone. Then you get the referral and it goes all down the whole medical 
blah 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 you know <laughs> but and, I, and a good physical therapist will know and be like okay you're having knee pain but maybe it's because you have hip weakness on the opposite side and you're compensating athletes are great compensators they find a way to do anything that they want to do mm -hmm. um but like that physical therapist will have to find a way to tie it in because they might go to the insurance company and submit a bill and then the insurance company could reject it because they're like well their right knee hurts why are you looking at their left hip and then you have to be able to medically justify why you're treating that side or you're not getting paid and that sucks yeah that's wild um <laughs> like i've worked with great physical therapists great athletic trainers good chiropractors great chiropractors i've worked with bad ones of all of those <laughs> categories it's not everyone's created the same there is a lot of legal mumbo jumbo and insurance stuff that goes through all healthcare industries at the end of the day, I, I know people are going to find what they want and hopefully find success. And I just hope that I can be a piece of that puzzle. But if I'm the, if I can make those puzzle pieces a lot less, like if I can be one of two or one of three versus one of 10, that is great. And I just want to take everything and, and give people success. Like, I think it's a very beautiful thing to see someone not being able to do something to do a few corrective exercises and some treatment and suddenly they get that back yeah that's cool i had an athlete that um was running her first 50k and she was having a, uh, a bit of foot issues um and she had a chiropractor that she would go see and and her chiropractor um cleared her of her foot issues and so i was you know i i I wouldn't say that I have, have never not gone. I've never gone to a, um, a chiropractor because I have, but I just, I, I, I didn't put a lot of value into them until um, it cleared up her issue. And I was like, well, maybe I, uh, maybe I should give them a little bit more yeah. of, a, of a look. So. Uh, and that's the, the beauty of moving towards evidence-based versus philosophy-based. Well, so. I think that, so I went to a, <clears throat> excuse me, I went to a chiropractor and it was more about, selling me a two-year plan or i don't know what the plan was but it was it was something about trying to sell me something that i need to come this many times and so like i saw him a couple times but i'm like bro i'm not i'm not spending two grand to to come see you for you know two years it's like that, that yeah for your that's, wellness that's not, plan that's yeah that's not what i want so that was my you know my little experience with a chiropractor and so it kind of steered me away from that you know and so um but if you have a bad experience that's what you associate it with all of it with so um yep. but uh, up until you know her issue was cleared and i was like oh this is you know it's kind of neat that you know they and I, I don't know what the what you know what they worked with or anything like that i don't know the details behind it but um but yeah i, I was just i was kind of impressed i like watching the uh the the youtube guys uh the chiropractors on youtube uh it seems like more of a holistic way of looking at things like you were saying evidence-based because I mean, the evidence is there if you know how to, to find it out. But I've watched some of these guys go in there and they've been told, you know, they need hip replacement or knee replacement or whatever. And the chiropractor's like, you know, give me four or five sessions. If it doesn't start to work, you can do your thing. You know, and sometimes by like the third one, they're like, I haven't had any pain in weeks. I forgot all about it. And uh, I was just, I just love watching that stuff. It just blows me away. 
<laughs> just saved you twenty thousand dollars in months of therapy and life changing <laughs> surgery. Yeah. For a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the other thing too, right? Is a lot of these insurance companies just they want the money, right? They want they want the knee replacement, they want the hip replacement. They look at if a chiropractor can go fix it without any invasive surgery or anything invasive, there's no money in that for them. And it's just the way, you know, the the world's going, but I don't know. I just think it's cool to watch those videos and I'm, I'm super excited to see how this goes for you. It's been a journey so far and I know I got a lot longer to go, but I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. That's so. awesome. Well, Dan, through all of your, uh, you're running, you know, all through high school, your marathons, your ultra marathons. Uh, you got to have a, an embarrassing story. And, and we, 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 as in Robbie and I need to hear it, but I, I know the, the listeners are like, man, we gotta, we gotta hear that story. <laughs> oh man. Um, just one though, huh? Okay. I mean, if you um, want more, I mean, we yeah, got time. Yeah. Oh, let's, <laughs> let's roll got. the dice. Uh, gosh, let's start small and just see what we can pepper in. Um, I've ran multiple races, uh, shirtless, only rock and spray paint for a jersey. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily embarrassing. It would. It didn't bother me. Um, <laughs> spray paint for a jersey. That's uh, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Had stenciled on. Um, <laughs> I got, so there was an, uh, an event that we'd run every once in a while in Boston that we called the Woe Man. It was a combination of three days of workouts. So when I went to November Project in Boston, they would move around for workouts from park to park every Monday. Wednesday was always stairs at Harvard Stadium running up the seats. And Fridays was hills. Um, and so they had the beautiful idea of let's mash all those things together. Um, and so you would start in Brookline, run two and a half miles downhill, do 37 sections of stairs in Harvard Stadium, which they call the full tour, run back up to your start point, uh, two and a half miles away, I think it's 2.2, um, burpees, both sides of this hill, more burpees and then both sides of this hill again it comes out to what people have accumulated to but about a half marathon effort with a ton of vert and stairs and we were doing a winter series so it was the like second friday of every month throughout the winter as long as harvard stadium was open and not buried in snow we were going to do this thing and in the middle of this race that we'd start at five o'clock in the morning or five thirty. um I started getting really bad stomach pain and I was in the middle of Harvard stadium and I was getting like just searing sharp pain in my abdomen. Um, finished, not happy with my time, packed everything up, drove to work, got sent home from work because sitting still, my blood pressure was like 180 over like a hundred or something like that. Oh and the position I was working with was like, go home. And I was like about out of the clinic and he goes, excuse me, don't go home, go to a doctor. Like, <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, so I ended up going to the emergency room uh, and somehow in the middle of that race, 
I had, or even before that, I had contracted some form of a bug and running really aggravated my intestines and colon. Um, so here I am laying on my back after running just a pitiful race, like, I don't know, 16 hours ago, something like that. And having them come in and be like, oh yeah, you have an infection. And I'm like, well, what do I need to do about this? They're like, it'll pass. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what can I expect? And they're like, you're going to fart and poop a lot. Here's like three <laughs> different medications. You can, uh, you can, you can help cure this. And I'm on the ride home, and I'm literally on the drive pass home. It. <laughs> yeah, literally pass it. And I'm on the drive home feeling like I'm playing that that roulette game of like, <laughs> is this gas? Is this not <laughs> on my drive home? Um, which I think every runner has experienced. Yeah. Uh, Never trust a heart after mile one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think every trail runner has experienced like needing to go to the bathroom and they're not being a porta potty. Uh, in the to tie this into my most recent endeavor of embarrassment, um, I was doing laps around this lake north of the north of the metro uh, for a segment challenge that the race the local race team Mill City Running does every July. They split you up into teams for capture the flag, and you capture other teams' segments on Strava to take their flag. Oh, that's and it's a so week cool. long 30 segment challenge. So you watch things just fluctuate the whole week. Um, and so I'm running these loops and I'm like, really have to go to the bathroom. But uh, Minneapolis area, St. Paul area, they're really good about leaving porta potties out on running and biking paths. Like it's, you figure out where they are, they hardly ever move. They do a pretty good job of keep taking care of them. I was like, I know there's going to be a porta potty. Really struggling with it. A little bit of a meerkat situation. And <laughs> I finally find my porta potty. Great. Get in the porta potty, pull down my shorts, make a commitment, look over. No toilet paper. <laughs> That's great. Here we are. So it was either run back without finishing the paperwork and getting a lot of chafing, probably destroying a pair of shorts and who knows what would happen to my car on the drive <laughs> or you sacrifice the sock and I sacrifice the sock. Nice. So that's awesome. I think that checks the box for embarrassing runners. Stories. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good one. That's up there. That's definitely up there. <laughs> Well, Dan, tell us, uh, tell us what kind of gear you use. I think I know, I know the majority of your gear according to your shirt and you know, where I met you, but I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wear a lot of Brooks. Um, uh, don't really wear a shirt a whole lot in the summer and because of how hot I get and how much I sweat, but I'm a big fan of their shorts. Uh, as temperatures start to drop, I really like the Brooks tech long sleeves that they have. Um, I'm a big fan of the Hyperion Max racing slash speed training shoe. I haven't tried and, that one yet. Oh, it's it's my favorite new go-to shoe. It's not the best for your easy miles because it's, I mean, it is a speed-focused shoe. Just it makes it so easy to go fast. And then the extra cushion that's there, it just doesn't beat you up as fast. Nice. Um, 
So it's it's basically Brooks everything. I use their socks. I use their shorts. I'm a big fan of their nine inch half tight. Um, their high visibility gear keeps you warm and toasty and people can see you coming in the winter, which is great because if I'm doing 6 a.m. miles around here, I mean, I'm sure you're used to this, Justin, but you're running in the dark mm-hmm. and yeah, you can, you can always take layers off, but you can't put extra layers on in the middle of the run. So having something that's vented and you can use clips on really comes in handy in the winter. Um, I use a ultimate direction racing vest when I actually do have a pack to run with. I do use the Brooks stride pack from, for like easier days and I use it for school. Um, I like having tiny pockets where I can separate everything everywhere. But if I'm racing, um, I use the ultimate direction one because I can put bottles in the front and have a pout and have a bladder in the back. Um, so it just kind of depends on what I'm looking for. Uh, and that usually has to be some pretty longer stuff without aid stations. Otherwise, I've gotten used to using a 12 or 18 ounce handheld. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just fill up at every aid station because the yeah. less that I have to carry, the happier I am. Um, yeah, and I use a a Nathan headlamp as well. Sweet. Oh, one thing that I want Brooks to start making that I use almost every time I get done with a hard workout and immediately crawl into them, the Hoka recovery slide. <laughs> yeah recovery slides are nice i have two pair yeah. of them and i almost never wear them i don't know why but when i put them on i'm like oh i love them but um yeah. i have the ufas because i don't like anything hoka to be honest with you <laughs> so, it's not that i have anything against the brand i just like every shoe that i've ever tried from hoka just doesn't work for me so i'm like yeah. i don't know i went with ufas instead of hokas but yeah that's a great <laughs> idea we should pitch it yeah, yeah they're yeah i've talked to Dustin and Ariella and I think the uh, the apparel guy's name is Nick and I was like just please just make a recovery slide yeah it'll sell and they're like yeah well that's a lot of technology and yada yada I'm like make it yeah like they can't keep them on the shelves at Mill City and Saint City here in town like it'll sell yeah so. I need to start wearing I need to start using mine more it's not like I'm going outside with them, so I don't, you know. <laughs> it's a great little house shoe, man. Yeah, it would be. It would be. I like. I uh, I just wear. Bare, I go barefoot in, in the house. I'm a barefoot walker, though. And but I like my cushion when I run, so I'm just kind of a weird mm-hmm. one. I'm not a sandals runner, though. I have, I have won a 5K in sandals before, Nate. That's Adam boy. <laughs> um. Hey, so we like to ask all of our guests someone that they have in their network that would potentially come on the podcast that has a cool story. Um, it doesn't have to be someone in the running community. It can be someone in the healthcare community or someone that you just know throughout life. That would be uh, a cool guest. Who do you got for us? Uh, I got a couple for you. Um, I know at one point in time I said you woo, uh, would be a good person to be, have you guys on your, on your podcast. Um, then I talked to him shortly after that and he's like, yeah, I don't listen to podcasts and I don't go on them. So, uh, but he's a unique (laughs) individual who is going around major city to major city every three to four months. Yeah. And he is, he is mapping, um, running routes for other people to be able to look up 
and he is putting recommendations on run clubs in that area and coffee shops and things like that. And he, once he gets done, he prints off postcards that has his heat map on them. Um, and he's an absolutely delightful human being to be around. Uh, I think his website is like you the runner why you the runner um but eventually he's working on compiling all this information and he's going to make a book uh so he's an absolutely great person if you can search him out find him great person to talk to uh you'd never suspect it but he has a doctorate in data science as a data scientist something like that i don't know i was oh. running I was running with him one day and I'm like, what'd you do before this? He's like, I was a data scientist. And I was like, what did that entail? And he's like, I have a PhD. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, I mean, he ran and like, he doesn't have a car. So like he uses public transportation, a bike or his feet to get everywhere. He ran yeah. 26 miles out to Hopkins, Minnesota to run the raspberry one mile. So he ran 26 miles ran a sub five minute mile mm. snapped a selfie in the middle of it and then i think they they biked home i don't know he had clocked a marathon and then ran a sub five minute mile and took a picture halfway through <laughs> um, he's out of this podcast league <laughs> yeah uh and then uh i got two more for you maybe three but emily saul out of Boston, Massachusetts. She's originally from Minnesota. She is a sports psychologist. And once again, delightful human being and great friend. She has a lot of stories to tell. She has a lot of great insight. I've talked to her about some of the mental health issues that I have worked through in the past. And I think her advice is very relatable and she knows how to work with any kind of individual. Uh, she was a competitive collegiate rower. Uh, she was a speed or she was a strength coach at Harvard uh, earlier on, and she is a fellow trail and ultra runner. Nice. I think she's just an amazing individual. Yeah. She's cool. also been doing forty thousand push-ups a year for like what feels like a decade. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah. She's <laughs> she's one to to look for. Um. And then one of my local friends here, his name is Mark Dowdle, Dowdle, Dowdle. Uh, he is attempting to be the only person to, or to be the first person to finish the calendar club. He is 190 days in right now. And whatever date it is, is the amount of miles he runs. He started in May. Oh, I follow that guy. I follow him. He's a great person. You should talk to him. Yeah, I follow him. I've yeah. actually like I've I've DM'd him um a couple times. That's that's kind of neat. That's kind of cool that mm -hmm. it's such a small world. Yeah, I actually uh yeah, that's kind of neat. Yeah, that'd so be that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, the amount of miles that he is putting on. Um What would the mileage total? What would the total mileage be of that? Oh gosh, I don't even know. The thing that I just focus on every time that I see him and I talk to him about it or just see what he's posting is like yeah, the first the first week is fine. The second week is fine. But even yeah. the last week of the month, and you're doing 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. Yeah, you're, you're essentially running five ultras back to back to back. A marathon yeah. and then five ultras. <laughs> I, uh, and then, like, he's trying to make it fun. He's trying to include other people. 
Yeah. And like he loves when people reach out and like, oh, I've only ever ran four miles. And he's like, well, next month, like, let's do three and then let's do four. And then the next day, let's do five. And then you just set a PR. And like, I love that he wants to share it and include people in it. Yeah, that's really um, cool. It didn't take a whole lot of convincing, but on November 1st, he's like, hey, on the first of every month, I do a beer mile to keep things interesting. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I am in. We went to the, to the track that he used to, the college that he used to coach at. And he's like, they leave the lights on until like midnight. So he's like, track's wide open. Let's go. I mean, it's a poor decision. Don't get me wrong. They're not fun <laughs> during it. But like, it's just one of those unique experiences that you just, you want to do. Yeah. God, well, that would be crazy. So no one's ever done the entire calendar year. No. Man. And he's staying healthy and he's doing it smart. And I, and I really, really hope that he makes it. So yeah, that'd be really cool. That'd be something. That'd be cool. Well, Dan, thanks so much for uh, coming on. We really appreciate it. This uh, this took a turn for you know something that I wasn't expecting, but sometimes that's uh, the way this thing goes. And I learned <laughs> a crap load today. And so um, I think Robbie is shaking his head that he did as well. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, can... uh, let's let's open the box a little bit more here because at one point in time, you reached out to me, and I think there's a quote that I know I definitely stole from my roommate from when I was in Boston that struck a chord with you when we were in California with Brooks. Yeah, it did. And that's kind of the reason, um, uh, you know, when I, when, after you said that I came up and was like, Hey man, I got to show on the podcast, but it was a, yeah, it was, uh, running is therapeutic, but it's not therapy. Mm -hmm. and, and that one, uh, yeah, that definitely, that stuck with me even, even to today. So it was, uh, well, if you want to, let's, let's jump into a little bit of mental health if you want. Yeah, let's go. Um, I mean, I think that statement says a lot because there's a lot of people that are like, well, I'm not, I'm not a nice person or like, you don't want to talk to me if I can't run or work out or anything like insert any physical activity of like, so you're telling me that people don't want to associate with you if you can't get your sweat in for the day. Like, I don't know if that's the healthiest relationship. Uh, but like, don't get me wrong. I run a decent amount of mileage even while I'm taking 27 or 29 credits in graduate school. Um, it keeps me level. It's great. I love moving. I love sweating. I love lifting. I love being outside, but I've ran into numerous situations where all of a sudden I can't work out and you get to some really low points. And I think that that exposes a couple of things. I think mental health is something that really needs to be addressed in the world, definitely in the United States. And it's just sad that access is determined a lot by how much money you have and or what kind of insurance you have. Uh, one of my old roommates was going to therapy for years and he loved it. And then suddenly uh, first of the year rolled around and his insurance changed. And he had to change therapists and like finding a therapist that really fits with you is a lot like dating. Like you got to find the one that is willing to work with you on what you want and that you vibe with and that you can trust. Um, and like, I've had that same situation. The therapist that I was going to for a while had a therapy dog and I I'd walk in for my session and I'd have this 
13 year old gigantic white fluffy dog come over and lay on top of me and I could pet a dog while I was, you know, kind of bearing my soul. But then my insurance changed, had to find another one. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people can benefit from mental health. And as I just mentioned, like Emily Saul, she helped me through some tough times. Like I had surgery on my foot to remove some bone spurs that every time I took a step down when I was 26, I got sharp shooting pain. Mm. I was 26. Yeah. And I was like, I need to get this done so I can keep being an athlete. But I mean, two days in and I felt I had lost my identity as an athlete because I couldn't put weight on that foot and I wasn't allowed to for the next six weeks. So I, I don't know. I think, I think runners look at this thing where you have to constantly be pushing. You have to constantly be trying to beat someone in a race or beat yourself. And then if you're not working hard enough, you're not doing a great job. And then you take this thing away and they lose their identity. Yeah. And, and I, I think a lot of people would be like, okay, so like, I don't know if I'd call it unhealthy. And I was like, if you have a tough time taking a rest day so your body can repair itself because you feel like you're, you're missing out on something you probably should talk to somebody about that. Yeah. And I, and I would yeah. say it's, yeah, go for it. No, I was just saying, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. Normally I take an entire month off of running and just go find, you know, I may go run, but it's not anything like structured. Like I work with a coach and, you know, and we take the month off and it, it's kind of one of those things. Like if you want to go run, go for it, but it, we're not going to put anything on a plan. We're not going to do anything like that. And so it's kind of a way to, you know, appreciate the sport again. And I think that having that break from things, you know, gives you that deeper appreciation and having the rest days, obviously like that's, that's huge and very important. I take most of the time, two days, two days a week. And so, um, you know, your body needs to heal and, but you definitely need to, you need to find time to do your, uh, do other things as well. It's, you know, 99% of us are hobbyist, however you want to say that. I'm I'm a mm -hmm. hobby jogger, so yeah, I'm not <laughs> uh, getting paid to be here. No, I'm definitely not getting paid to <laughs> to run. I do it I do it for fun, and it should be fun. And if I'm not having fun, then why am I doing it? So, um, but yeah, I 100 agree with you. And I think there's something beautiful about finding something that's been stressing you, because like stress is stress. So that's mental, emotional, physical, whatever. If if you're trying to sell your home and earn a degree or your spouse is, and you're trying to train for a marathon and you can't figure out why your body hurts all the time, like, okay, your mileage is down, but like life stress is still pretty high. Yeah. So like with the athletes that I coach, I try to make running work for their life versus make their life work around running. And I think that's a healthier way to look at that as well, because stress is stress. It's going to be that way. But what if you had the opportunity to talk to somebody about that stress, or maybe you have found a way to get those things off your chest. And now running is something that you do because you enjoy it versus something you do to keep you level headed to accept everything else in life. I think there's just something beautiful about the way that you can flip it like that. And I would have never went to therapy, figured things out. I'm not shy about it. 
I'm in a very stressful program. I started anti-anxiety medications when I got into school because I'm 35 years old and I'm trying to get better grades than 22, 23 and 24 year olds that never left school. And like doing that, um, yeah, it was just a big jump. So like, I'm not shy about it. I go to therapy twice a month. I absolutely love it. And I want people to, to enjoy it as well. If you have access, I think it's something that you can definitely get into and it'll make your life better. And I'm happy that there's no, well, there's less and less stigma behind it. Yeah, there's definitely be, it, well, the stigma behind seeing, seeing a therapist is definitely, you know, diminished a lot. And it's actually encouraged, uh, you know, you know, as well as the the audience that I've, you know, I've been in the military for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I first came in, seeking mental health was like, that's a no, no. Like, you're going to get blacklisted from deployment. You're going to get, you know, you're not going to be able to do X, Y and Z. But now it's just like it's so encouraged. And even on our yearly um you know, yearly exams, our physical health exams, we have to talk to a mental health professional. Um, it, it's not as it's not like a session or anything, but we just we have to talk to a mental health uh, professional. And so, you know, I, I kind of appreciate that now it's it's starting to be a norm, even within, you know, the military and, you know, all the running community as well. There's tons of sports psychologists that I'm seeing, you know, pop up all over Instagram. And, you know, I appreciate that. So. Well, Dan, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, I am on um, Instagram at run Danimal run. I'm, that's my main source of social media. Uh, I'm also on TikTok under the same run Danimal run, but I'm just, I'm mostly just scrolling on that one. <laughs> You're a viewer, um, not a poster. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love to work with athletes. I love to work with runners. Um, I'd love to coach more people. Justin, I know you do the same. I don't know if Robbie does or not, but yeah. If you want to work together and you want to reach out, you just want to say hi, anything like that, I'd be more than willing to start a conversation. And even if some of the things that we've talked about today has piqued some interest, I'm always open to chit chat with people about that. So yeah, send me a message or a DM or I guess you can email me at coachdanadamitz at gmail. Um, I'm here. Oh. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you guys hit him up if you're interested in coaching by Dan or just have a question, hit him up. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thank you.